Welcome, Queens, to another episode. I have Joelle with me today. I'm just going to read her bio to you. So I have Joelle Melitis, and Joelle is a world-renowned international speaker, psychotherapist, trauma expert, and author of TEDxED PTSD video with over 3.2 million views and available in 28 different languages. I've watched it. Go and watch it. It's an incredible talk. She has been featured guests globally, including the UK's top 20 most popular eating disorder podcasts and in the top 2% of coaching podcasts. Her passion is mentoring, coaching and supporting people while overcoming struggles that are keeping them from living a meaningful and balanced life full of fulfillment, joy and contentment. Joelle started JRM and A Incorporated to help others discover their hopes, dreams, and abilities to thrive through adversity, trauma, and mental challenges, and just recently launched her own line of self-help products available on Amazon. So without further ado, Joelle, welcome to the Body Love Binge podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Victoria, for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Oh, me too. And before we go into the juice and the serious questions, I have 10, some of them are serious, but kind of quick fire questions. So you ready to dive in? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Number one, what's your favorite food? Ice cream. Love. Number two, the worst diet you've ever been on? All of them, every, every single one. Um, I think the grapefruit diet, I that just dates me and tells you how old I am. But <laughs> I did that one too. I got it from my mom. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. Kill you. <laughs> Number three, if you could be an animal, what animal would you be and why? Oh my goodness. Um, a fox because they're cunning maybe. Ooh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like it. Yeah. Number four, okay, in three words, describe trauma. Horrific, whole body, all-encompassing. Number five, in three words, describe yourself. Silly, pensive, and athletic. Love. Number six, the most favorite thing about what you do, Joelle? Oh, having people have a a cathartic experience where, you know, they make major life changes and um, they didn't think that they could do it. And Mm -hmm. it's exciting to, to... and and honoring to be a part of that process with them. Yeah, I feel that. And number seven, what's the most challenging thing about what you do? It's painful having to, you know, sit with someone who's experienced trauma, suffering with an eating disorder, addiction, loss, um, and and watch that guttural pain and anguish that they're going through. And so it it's hard to to not take that home. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Okay, number eight, early bird or night owl? Oh, night owl, 100%. <laughs> oh, number nine. I don't know why I'm like, oh, I wrote the questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
because I'm excited <laughs> to hear your answer to this one. Number nine, your top three values, if you don't mind sharing with us. Kindness, authenticity. What's the third? I think real, just, just being a, a real human, not perfect. Yes. There's no such thing as perfect, right? Right. right. I try. Never, never succeed at it. <laughs> ever. <Me too. laughs> I gave up that a long time ago. Now I like to fit into the spiritual meaning of perfect, meaning we're all perfect, whole and complete as we are. We just need to understand and feel that. Exactly. I love that. I, I um, for years when I was starting my journey, would write on my bathroom mirror in like red lipstick, perfectly imperfect. And as it would start to fade, I'd pick a different color and write perfectly and per until I finally was starting to ingrain that into my subconscious. Yeah, I love it took that. a long time. Yeah, yeah, can imagine lots of layers to unpeel before it could even sink in. Yeah. And the last question, bit of a strange question at the beginning, but what do you want people to take away from this conversation we're about to have? That it is easy concepts that we're talking about, and in no way simple you know, to make major life changes. It, it's hard work. It takes practice. There are slip ups, there are setbacks and to, to, you know, try and em embrace that perfectly imperfect just to tie that in. Right. Um, and that self-love is hard. You know, we talk about it all the time, um, but it's not something that we can achieve a hundred percent of the time, every single day, that wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be normal. So it, it's, it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. Okay, I would love to dive in then, Joelle. Thank you for playing along with those, by the way. Yeah. Um, because I've got a lot of questions that I personally would like to ask you, as well as my listeners getting value from your answers. In Obviously, I'm not timing you, but in around under 15 minutes, can you share your story as to how you have become the therapist, like all the things that you do today? Yeah, Um. In, in under 15 minutes. Absolutely. So it started off I'm a ballerina by training. I had a 22 year dance career. So I started dancing at a very young age. Um, it meant that the eating disordered patterns started for me at a young age. Some of it was socialized with my family, which we hear a lot. Right. Um, and it was, you know, passed down from parents, from siblings and, and so on and so forth. Um, but it really started with my dance career and trying to fit into this uh, ideal perfect image. Well, five, two and a half, um, hippie and mouthy doesn't make for really, you know, five, 10 ballerinas who, you know, looked like these beautiful waif fairies, you know, floating across the stage. And so it started with this idea of, of air quotes, never fitting in. Um, and, you know, through, through that journey, I was able to pass and we could definitely talk more about that component and um, didn't have help, didn't get help, uh, had lots and lots of complex trauma through my career, after my career, career ending injury. And I ended up finding myself newly divorced with a one and a three-year-old and went, okay, now what am I going to do? And went back to school for the third, the third time um, and switched careers and decided therapy was a really good idea. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had a master's in fine arts dance and a master's in education and went, oh, being a therapist sounds great. I love my therapist. 
And it was really the first time that, that I was doing therapy. You know, I had been in therapy and out of therapy and mm -hmm. pretended to do therapy. I was one, I, and I'm still one of those patients. I really am. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do the homework. I never do it. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I think I, I was really starting to be serious about uncovering the trauma and serious about working with the, the eating disorders and the body dysmorphia and, so it kind of propelled me and I had a great therapist. I still, she's still my therapist after all these years. And it propelled me into, I want to do that. I want to help somebody. Um, and I, I started studying dance movement therapy, somatic therapy, trauma. Um, and what I ended up doing was writing a dissertation in broad spectrum eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD. And I, you know, my clinical supervisors would say, you can't do that. You're going to be triggered. You're going to be re-traumatized. It's going to be terrible for you. They were not wrong. So yeah. I found that I, as much as I was growing through my own therapy and growing through psych school, I was also sliding back into some really maladaptive, you know, eating patterns and, and again, struggling with that eating disorder. And, and I would swing back and forth between um, feeling like I had it all and I was getting it and I was doing the skills and then I would fall right back into, into the patterns. Um, so it was a, it was a struggle and it's, it's something that I finally started to talk about years after uh, retiring from the dance world. And part of it was, I was ashamed. I didn't want my family to know. I didn't want my mother to hear how bad it really was. Um, and because I was a ballerina, I was able to pass, you know, I was so, so, so thin. And it was like, well, I'm dancing. This this is what I'm supposed to look like, right? Yeah. Um, and and so it it's still it's still something that I I work through on a daily basis. I won't lie. Um, I'm much better today than I ever was, and and tomorrow I think I'll feel the same way because I continue to move forward even when I have setbacks. And so just taking that experience and really having this place of I don't want other people to suffer the way I, I felt like I was suffering. Um, and so that brings me to what I do now. Wow. Thank you for sharing. And it's interesting yeah. that you, I can see the beautiful book in the background, ballet. Book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So many of my clients that come to me with a restrictive eating disorder have been in the dance industry. Do you think it's, yeah. it's almost, a, it sounds so harsh to say, but do you think it's almost a given if someone hasn't naturally got a thin body type to develop an eating disorder in such environments? Absolutely. You know, dance, gymnastics, elite athletes, you know, absolutely. It's, it's the focus is so much on what your body can do, mm. right? Um, what it needs to do and what it's supposed to look like. And it, it's very hard to fit into that perfect image because there's always, it, there's always the person, right? The, the, prima ballerina, the best soccer player, you know, the, the best gymnast. And then all, you know, all the little girls go, I want to be her, right? Yeah. I want to do that. Uh, and I want to look like that. Well, you know, at the time I started dancing at, you know, at three, and then when I was starting to train as a dancer at 10, you know, the dancers were five, eight to five, 10. And, you know, I don't want to be triggering and, and use numbers um, with people, mm -hmm. but, you know, extremely, extremely thin. Well, again, you know, five, two, there was no way I was ever going to be that tall. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my body structure didn't, didn't look like that. And so it was this constant battle of, 
you know, how, how can I make myself thinner um, to, to fit that aesthetic that was required. And at the time I was dancing, it was a requirement. And the only way to do that, right. Was, you know, I, I joke sex, drugs and, and rock and roll. Right. But really it was eating disorders. A lot of people were using, using alcohol and drugs, um, nicotine, you make caffeine, you name it, sugar to, to try and manifest their body into this perfect image. I think as we are becoming smarter uh, in in the the world of dance, but also in the world of athletics and understanding the toll on people's mental health, those those restrictions are starting to lift a little. And and I think people are getting clearer about you know I can be an elite athlete and not look like X, mm. um, but it's not we're not there. You know, and this the standard again is this as this um, aesthetic. So I remember, you know. Um, when I switch and I switched from ballet into other forms of dance and, and kept my career going that way. And, um, but I, I remember moving into these other dance fields and having that judgment and being really ashamed that I was judging people. And I would look and say, oh, well, they're not a dancer, just, just based on my perception of what their body looked like. Right. And having the same thing happen to me. And, and that was just, that was the norm. Um, and I hope that we're not there anymore, you know? Yeah. I think things are changing. It might take a while because I feel like we're really getting somewhere and then someone will send me something because I block all diet shit so they don't yes my world. And someone yes. will send me something on the purpose so I have my opinion and I'm like, oh my God, is what is the world doing now? And it's just one thing, like now the injection shots to lose, well, for diabetes and blood sugar, but yeah. all of that. But yeah, so I feel you randomly with yeah. the same height, by the way. I'm yeah. also five foot two and a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. And a tiny bit. A if tiny I stand up really tall. <laughs> I know this is such yeah. a big question. How did you recover? Like what were the oh main points for you? Um that that's such a hard question because recovery for me was like I said, it was, it's fits and starts. Um, you know, I have periods where I was doing okay. Um, where, you know, I had, I was working with a nutritionist and I was able to be at peak performance and stay lean. And, and then, you know, as women, our bodies change every two years, yay, yay, estrogen. Um, and so, you know, every, every few years we go through these hormonal changes and our bodies change again. And so what was working stopped working. And so um, when it stopped, when when something that I felt was more on the healthy side, right, stopped working, I slipped right back into to the eating, eating disorders. And it was everything from anorexia, bulimia, Purging was not vomiting, it was laxatives. So I had a laxative addiction, um, you know, overeating, food was comfort, um, you know, food was a great way for me to ex escape all of the pain. And so it, it was, you know, I I was saying, okay, so and, and then I'd lie to myself, right? I'm like, well, I'm not binging or purging, I'm eating, you know, three meals a day. And, um, you know, but then I was binging at night, right? Or I was eating comfort food, or I was eating three meals a day, but from a very restrictive, like, so I was constantly playing these games with my, and it was really, who was I fooling? Just myself, right? It's yeah. constantly playing. This game. So some of it started with, um, 
this idea of moderation, a calorie is a calorie and intuitive eating. And that is that stuff that I still practice today. It's still stuff that I preach today, but it really was fits and starts. When I started going to therapy, we tried working on it a little bit, but I was listening to, to one of your shows. Um, oh, I forgot when you released it with um, Scarlett and oh, she yeah. was talking. Yeah. And she, you know, was talking about, um, you know, like people come, but they don't want help. Mm-hmm. You know, they come to therapy, they come for treatment, they come for care. They don't really want help. I was definitely there. And so I was hitting that brick wall. Um, and then, you know, I um, got married, we decided to start a family and all of a sudden, you know, I needed to put on weight um, in order to get pregnant. And that was, I think that, oh, that desire to start a family was part of my willingness to override the eating disorder. And I just kept saying, oh, it's only temporary. Oh, it's only uh-huh. temporary. Yeah. So I was really there. And, and that's why I say, you know, through this whole process, every piece has been a journey to recovery. Um, but I, as a clinician, um, as a researcher, right. And then also through my own process, I really feel that it is more an addiction and we, it's something that we're, constantly paying attention to and we have good days and we have bad days and and that's just the name of the game with it right I don't feel that that somebody ever is you know is fully recovered and and I don't mean that that's not possible all I'm saying is that there's a mindfulness about making sure we stay in recovery yeah I agree with that so I would say describe myself as fully recovered However, what you've just said with that, this is an analogy I love to use. Let's say a runner, someone who's loved to run their whole life has a knee injury and they have to take time off and their knee gets better. Let's say a year along the line, they want to start running again. Now they're going to have to have in their mind, they're going to have to take care of this previous injury and be really mindful of that as they continue running compared to someone who's never had an injury and just wants to start right. running. So I, I feel the same as that. So I purposely make sure I'm eating three nourishing and pleasurable meals a day. If I'm going prolonged time without food for whatever reason, I'm a, I'm kind of overly aware of that because as you said, restriction used to be an, an addiction to me. And just, you know, going forward, you can't just like go from anorexia recovery to like intuitive eating, like it's... <laughs> It takes a bit of time and years for your body to trust you again and all of that. So, and I wish it was that easy, right? So many times pe- people come and like, you you know, in the beginning, like what's the hardest part about this job is people are in pain, they're yeah. in real pain. And it's like, I wish I had a magic wand, you yeah. know? I mean, it, it, I, I really do. Um, and, and that's the, the, you know, the same for myself too, right? Where it's like, I, I wish I could wish this away. Mm-hmm. But it's been so much of my identity, whether yeah. I like it or not, right? It's so much of who I am um, that it's hard sometimes when I'm feeling down or I don't feel good in my clothes that day or or whatever it is. And so, you know, creating these little sound bites or mantras for myself, right? A calorie is a calorie is a calorie. Okay, what does that mean? It means that a calorie is a is a math unit. It's a unit of energy, whether you get that from an apple, wh- whatever that, a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. And so um, instead of looking at, quote, good foods or bad foods, good calories versus bad calories. And that really helped because then it was like, oh, 
okay, well, if I need to put something nourishing in my body and I feel like having, you know, something that is, you know, enjoyable that day. Okay. So like, so what, so what does that mean? Is the sky going to fall? Cause like, let's really just put this into perspective here. Cause if the sky is going to fall, I need to be doing something totally different yeah. <laughs> than worrying about what treat I just consumed. Right. And so really making it, it sounds ridiculous, but making it ridiculous helped start to change that mindset of, oh, I can eat food that I enjoy. I can eat food that I really like that, that meets, meets me on all of those levels. I can eat comfort food. The sky is not going to fall. And if I have an off day where I don't eat enough or I eat too much, cause I remember I'm on both ends of that spectrum, right? Tomorrow's a new day. I get to try it again, right? What, like, is the sky going to fall that I had one, you know, rough day or I had a slip? Is this guy not not really tomorrow's a new day i can try it again and so really just that's where i am now it's where I, what pushed me into recovery and um that's the biggest takeaway for me you know through this process yes. and it is hard it sounds so easy it is so hard it's, it's so hard it can be so hard and i like to remind my clients like it feels like it's the end of the world but it's absolutely it's no big deal no one's gonna die because you binge last night really no right, right. you're not gonna combust into flames your body knows what to do with it trust surrender but because we're so afraid of weight gain it's like this <gasps> this like oh my god it's right. the worst thing in the world I need to do something about it now but then it's it's working through the many layers as to why that's actually the response you have when you've eaten more than you want to eat Right. And it's the, it, right. It's the guilt, the shame, the blame. It's that lovely trifecta, guilt, shame, and blame. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what, you know, whether when we are in our disorder, right. The guilt, shame, and the blame is, you know, we're not good enough at our disorder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then when we're trying to recover the guilt, shame, and blame is, well, we, you know, we had this one screw up. You know, and now, you know, now we're starting back at the beginning and I sound hyperbolic, but that is how I feel in my own head. It's like, you know, hand on my forehead. Oh my God. You know, I've just, all of this progress I just made is now lost. Well, completely no. gone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but I do this for a living and I can still get there very easily, you know? I've, we're human at the end of the day and I think it makes us even more relatable and we're continuing to work on ourselves always that's important yeah. now I would love to go into PTSD and trauma specifically yeah. so let's start off with what is PTSD and is all trauma PTSD or are there different types oh such a great question um so quick answer no Trauma, um, not all trauma is the same. That doesn't mean it's not all trauma. So for me, trauma is in the eyes of the beholder, right? If it's traumatic for you, it counts. Doesn't mean that it may be traumatic for me. My trauma may not be traumatic for someone else. Um, so it, it is very individualized. It's in the eyes of the beholder. Um, trauma is anything that has caused us to have um, these feelings of horror, terror, fear and it moves our body into this fight flight freeze response and so and then we stay there right so we are overly aware um if something traumatic happened you're walking down the street and you have a traumatic interaction with somebody you know at night um 
every time you walk down the, either that same street or a street that's similar, or even a street at the same time of day where that trauma occurred, you're going to be hypervigilant. You'll, you'll re-trigger that trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we used to, used to in the world of psychology, call them big T's and little T's, big T trauma being things like um, war, rape, murder, you know, witnessing events like that, little T traumas being things like a car accident or witnessing um, a traumatic, horrific event. We've moved away from from that model, which I think is good. And so post-traumatic stress or PTS is what happens to our mind, our body, our spirit when we experience something traumatic. And so it makes perfect sense, right? Just if, if anybody's been, you know, if you've ever driven in a car, right, and you've you're at a stoplight, you've got your hands on the on the steering wheel, and you're watching in your rearview mirror the car screaming up behind you. Whether you've ever been rear-ended or hit from behind or not, your whole body still braces. Mm. Right. And and everything tenses up and your mind starts to go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And that fear factor starts to set in. Now, whether you've been hit or not, you still have a trauma response. Mm. Yeah. So so what I'm losing my I'm losing my AirPods are here. Live. <laughs> They're alive. They like the subject. <laughs> Your listeners who cannot see me on video are like, <laughs> yeah. Do you need to check out the YouTube if you want to see what's going on right now? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Remember, I said silly that like I you know it just all right back on track. Um, refocus. So po- post traumatic stress, right? Your body has this natural reaction. Your mind has this natural reaction, right? And, um, you know, for people that are religious or spiritual, maybe they pray. There's this holistic response in the wake of fear, post-traumatic stress. Our body's doing exactly what it needs to do. And so is our mind. So when that happens, we have over 30 different stress and hormone, cortisol, um, believe it or not, estrogen, um, all of that norepinephrine, it all dumps into our bloodstream. We have a physical reaction. You might shake after that experience, hyperventilate, feel sweaty, feel fatigue. Um, so our body's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. For some people, that response and the aftermath of that response takes longer than other people for that to leave the brain and body. So usually it takes 72 hours for that one experience to happen um, and then release and and be released from the body. When it doesn't, when that doesn't happen and we start moving into, okay, now I'm afraid to drive. Um, I'm having nightmares about driving. What's normal? Well, that may be normal for the first week or two after something like that. It was really scary and we're still holding on to it and really scared. And ideally what we want is that to start to dissipate and and kind of disappear. Mm. When it doesn't, we say, okay, that D disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's affecting our daily life and living. And that's when we look to the psych, you know, psychological criteria of does it meet criteria for this D disorder part? And, you know, and some people can have very horrific things happen to them and never develop the D disorder. And other people can have something horrific happen to them um, and that they're stuck in the the D disorder part, right? And I, I mean, like their body is stuck, not their mind necessarily. Sometimes it's both body and mind. So that's really the distinction. So part of after trauma is our bodies, our brains, our spirits, 
you know, they have a response and it knows what to do. When it gets stuck, it starts to interfere with our daily life and living. Yeah, wow. Do you think from your professional experience, either all or most of eating disorders are born from that someone experiencing trauma? That's such a great question. There's so much research out there and there's stuff that says, yes, absolutely. There's stuff that says, no, not at all. It's behavioral, not, you know, or in learned, it's not experience. Like, you know, I think, I really think that it's a very individualized thing. Um, I believe that it is it is a trauma aftermath. It doesn't mean that people who suffer trauma at a very young age will develop an eating disorder. I think there's there's connection. I think for some people there's correlation and causation. I think for other people there's not at all. And so I don't want to put this like one size fits all model. I do though believe that people who have had early childhood trauma look to look for things to control, right? They start to control their environment. So when they feel overly anxious or fearful, they control their environment and control then extends to controlling what I put in my body. Yeah, I I agree with you. In fact, every woman that I've ever worked with hasn't, I mean, what is trauma, right? Like you said, it's in the beholder. You can fall off the sofa as a toddler and that'd be really traumatic. Exactly. But in terms of like, in again, this is a judgment in my interpretation of like what trauma is, what most people think trauma is looking out inwards every single person I've worked with has, has experienced trauma as a child and they've used that restriction in an attempt to try and numb and control and just feel safe in some way that's my experience mm-hmm. I was just curious to see what your thoughts were about that so it's it's my experience too it's my experience personally it's my experience professionally after you know I, I started working in this field in 2008 it's yeah. my experience with elite athletes when I work with them and, and we're working with trauma and, and eating and body image and performance enhancement. And so that's my experience too. I just want to be mindful that, exactly. yes. that it, it's not a one size fits all model, pun intended, every pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go now into trauma being stored in the body. So is it true yeah. that trauma is physically stored in the body's tissues? And if so, can we release it all forever or does the body like never forget? Like, again, I know everyone's different, but what's your professional opinion on that? Yeah, it's, a, it, you know, again, interesting research. I think, yes, body is absolutely stored. Um, I'm sorry. I said that in backwards. Trauma is absolutely stored in the body. Um, <laughs> I know what I mean. I didn't and, get it. Well, I, yeah. then I heard it back and I heard what I wanted to hear. Right. I interpreted it as we all do. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know, you know, it's, it's, remember I'm a night owl, right? This is early (laughs) for me. Um, Brain is just not working. Um, Yeah, body, the body holds trauma. And like I said, with that experience of driving in the car, so any, and if anyone's had that experience, right? Every time you're holding the steering wheel, it could be 20 years later and somebody screeches up and it's the right, color of the car, but you don't even, you wouldn't even remember that. These are all subconscious um, triggers, right? Or memories, you know, it could be the same color, make and model. It could be the same time of day. It could be the same street. It could be who, right? Same time of the year. Maybe it was a, a really cold winter day and it was icy and you, you replicate the environment enough. Our body is going to have a reaction. 
And so the trick is that we start recognizing that we're like, oh, okay, I know why I did that. Cause this one time when I was first learning how to drive, right. I had this experience that scared the crap out of me. And now when I have that experience again, my body reacts. Mm. It, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's our protective mechanism. And so the trick is to then recognize that. So when it's happening again, you're like, oh, I know what this is. Okay. Let me take some big, deep belly breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, roll my shoulders, my head, wiggle my fingers and toes. Maybe I need to get out of the car, pulled up, you know, to a safe space, get out, you know, do some stretches, jumping jacks, take some deep breaths, phone a friend, whatever it is, right? And go, okay, I need to just, you know, calm myself down, stabilize that fight, flight, freeze mechanism, get back to homeostasis, get back in the car, and I'm good, right? I and and so sometimes it it's that recognition and it's and it can be as again simple as that right yoga is great um anything that we can do to get in our body when we have eating disorders when we have physical trauma sexual trauma the last thing we want to be is in our body it's the very last thing so when i'm like oh just go do yoga like you know how many times I was told, oh, go just do yoga. And I'm like, <laughs> no, never, I'm never, ever, do, you know, I now love yoga. However, again, that was a very slow practice, you know, so, so yeah, there are ways to release trauma and it starts with being safe in our body. We have to learn how to do that. And when we have eating disorders, we have to be comfortable with that. So start slow. Sit for, literally sit in your favorite chair, get into bed, curl up on the couch with your blanket. You know, if you have a, a pet, snuggle your pet or your, even if you're reading a book to your child, take those big three deep belly breaths, roll your shoulders, unclench your jaw, right? Open up your fists. You'll notice that there's stress cues that, that you have. Your body will start to hold itself, right? Again, that's all about control. Let your body just relax in that moment where you feel safe, right? And then when you start to get a little anxious or nervous and you feel your heart racing a little bit, stop the process. Get up, go do something else. So very gently, very slowly, as long as you can, there's, there's no magic number. You could start with five seconds, right? Just feel what it's like to feel safe in your body in that moment. And then when it gets to be too much, go do something else. Yeah. Right. With, with repetition. So let's take that car analogy. If someone really wanted to fully be free from that trigger trauma response, if mm -hmm. someone purposely put like exposure therapy, if you like, purposely mm -hmm. put themselves in that experience over and over again and felt safe in their body and did the tools, would that um, trigger completely go away, do you think? Or would it always be a trigger and it's always a case of like, just bringing yourself back out of that response quicker or would it just completely go? It depends on how serious the trauma was to that person and how big the trigger is. And for anybody thinking about doing that prolonged self-exposure, please talk to a therapist first. <laughs> yeah. It can be extremely traumatizing or work with a coach or, or you know, work with an, an expert and that, that can help guide you through that process. Um, but yeah, so um, like the toddler falling off the couch, right? Somebody may decide that they're afraid of heights. Mm, yeah. Maybe that's how that manifests. They they have no idea. And the reality is that they come into my office and they're in their mid forties and they're like, I'm afraid of heights. 
you know, my new partner wants to go skydiving. I really want to do this for their 50th birthday. And I'm terrified. I'm thinking of one of my clients, right? Um, and I'm terrified. I'm afraid of heights. The reality is, is that unless they have a memory of falling off the couch, you probably are never going to be able to find that out. So yeah. we just work with that exposure of, okay, let's just, you know, what would it be like to, you know, stand on the second step and jump mm -hmm. to the jump to the floor like okay what would it be like to and right and we slowly start to to expose like you said right that person to the stimuli eventually are they going to be afraid of heights or not they might have that moment right of fear where they're they're you know for me i always laugh i'm at the I, i'm an avid skier and i always look down at the you know and it's it's the worst thing i'm in the chairlift i look down and then i have this moment of freak out and i love to ski so it's like that kind of a thing where you're like, oh, yeah, I know this is me. I know what I'm doing. For me, I laugh at myself constantly. I think I'm ridiculous most of the time. <laughs> and and then, you know, and then I'm like, all right, go down the hill. Like, it's just, it, it's that recognition, right? So depending on the level of trauma, for some people, it may come up, but they're very, it, it, it's very easily overridable. For other people that have very complex trauma, also me, um, there are moments where I'm, I am triggered because there's an incident or something that has happened that is tapping into something very serious for me. Mm -hmm. Now I'm able to go, ah, okay, I know that feeling. I know what's happening. I have my checklist. Am I safe? Mm -hmm. Yep, I'm safe. Yeah. Right. What do I need to do to take care of myself? Usually it's, you know, go make some tea, take some deep breaths, do a little stretching, put on my favorite show by the morning, I'm back to normal, you know? And so it's that recognition of, of, okay, I know what this feeling is, right? I know why it's manifesting and um, I can control that. I don't need to go back into that fight, flight, freeze, or dissociation or maladapted eating because I'm like, okay, I know what this is, right? First check is, am I safe? Yep. Am I in control? Yep. Cool. Yeah, because if I'm not safe and I'm not in control, I need to do something. I need to call nine one one, leave the right, or, you know, go go get emergency services, you know, go somewhere, get myself to a place of safety. Right, that's a different hmm. yeah. response. Well, yeah. I'm hearing that you're pouring self compassion into yourself as you're bringing up and using the tools, and that happens with me sometimes when I'm watching. So I watched. Oh, what's the I can't think of the series name it's gone out of my head now and there's a person the main character in this series that looks like my abuser ex-abuser and auto automatically I'm like I don't like him I don't like his face I don't like his hair I don't yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do like to heal with with humor as you do too because when I feel safe to do so it's helpful to me to like bring me out of the kind of the darkness of what that happened back then so humor does help for me, but then I like turn away or turn it off. Mm -hmm. You can take care of yourself, but like you say, as long as awareness needs to come first, and if you can bring humor into it, if you feel safe to do so, that's helpful for me anyway, because I humor is one of my top values as well. So that's like in alignment with who I am. Yeah, exa exactly. And it's, it's okay. Like for me, you don't, in my opinion, Listeners, you don't owe anybody an explanation, even your partner, spouse, best friend, parent. You know, if you don't want to watch the show, you don't have to. There's a couple of shows out there that are really popular where I watched one or two and I went, oh, like that whole, like you said, that my internal, in, you know, internal 
self just went grunge, you know, and that whole, my whole body concaved and it was like, okay, there was that overwhelming need to control, need to control. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And it's like, you know what? I don't need to watch the show. Like, okay, so I'm not going to get the jokes. I won't be good at trivia, whatever. Like, it's going to be okay. You know, it, it give yourself permission, right, to do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself in a way that's safe for you. Yeah. That's you know, if quite... that means, yeah, get up and walk out, get up and walk out. Yeah, put yourself first. Okay, I've got, there's two more questions I want to ask you. Let me see if we can fit them in. Which okay. one do you want to go with first? Yeah, I saw this on your Instagram, actually, and I wanted to bring this up. What, can you give us exam, some examples of what um, might be classed as abuse that people might not recognize at all as abuse, whether that's in relationships, well, everything's a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a romantic relationship or a different kind of relationship. Yeah. So like trauma, abuse is in the eyes of the beholder. If it feels awful to you, it is abuse. If you feel like you can't control it, you can't stop it, it is abuse. If you ask very gently or even not so gently and or assertively and you say, please stop, that's not acceptable behavior, right? It is abuse if they don't stop, mm. period, right? It, it's you know, somebody who grew up in a yelling home may be a yeller and their partner who grew up in a yelling home may, you know, cower if you yell. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's not that I'm being abusive. I'm just yelling because that's what I, that's how I was raised, how relationships work. And the other person's like, I can't handle this. Right. Um, when you say stop and someone doesn't stop, it is abuse. Okay. So the other person needs to be aware of the behavior that they're doing is not wanted or accepted in order for them them to continue and then for it to be classed as like an abusive behavior. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody's like, oh, I just borrowed 20 bucks. Please don't take money out of my purse without asking. Well, I just borrowed, I just needed five bucks. Oh, well, I ran out of gas. I just needed 20 bucks. Please don't take money out of my purse without asking. I've already asked you one time. I don't want you to do that. Oh, well, I just needed $5. That's financial abuse. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And this one, I'm really intrigued to hear the answer. I personally believe and professionally believe that any kind of eating disorder is born from anxiety. And I love the way Gwyneth Olwyn says that an eating disorder is a misidentification of food as a threat. And so do you think that anxiety, overthinking, what ifs, like trying to overplan, obviously trying to control at the root of it all, do you think that is is tied in with trauma or do you think someone can have anxiety without having experienced like a lot of trauma in their life? Yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's one of three things. It's anxiety only, it's trauma only, or it's the wonderful combination of anxiety and trauma which is most people that I see in my practice and it is me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and so I think it's, it's one, the other or combination of both. What advice would you give to someone who you've got a patient come in and they're really struggling with kind of OCD principles, like behaviors, like extra checking of taps and checking of this mm-hmm. and checking of that and overthinking is it a case of 
I mean, I had this little diagram. And again, if you're on the podcast, you're going to have to look at the yeah. YouTube to see this little <laughs> awesome diagram I've drawn. I work with that with my clients. So you've got your comfort zone, your stretch zone, your panic zone. Would it be a case of helping and supporting the client to actually face their fears and not do the behavior in their stretch zone, not their panic zone, in order to overcome those things? Or is there something else you would recommend or support your clients with to stop those OCD, what ifs, anxiety driven behaviors? No, I love that diagram and, and the way that you put that. I think when you're in your stretch zone and for somebody who's just starting, that could, like I said, be just try 30 seconds of sitting in your body, right? Yeah. That may be a stretch for someone or, you know, someone a stretches, you know, I want you to, to really start working on intuitive eating, which is, can be very scary. Right. And so like, I think it's just, it depends on that person, but yeah, doing things that are hard, that are scary, um, that are uncomfortable are okay in moderation. And so start small, just start yeah. small and gentle and, and be very mindful. And it's okay to scale it back if it's too hard. And it's, you know, it's good to keep challenging yourself. And so for me, I always want to be in that growth mindset. And it's like, oh, cool, I did that. And so it's really celebrating, like, I was able to do 30, 30 seconds, 30 seconds of mindful meditation today. It's hard for me. You know, that's a huge win. I get a gold star. Right. Yeah. So I always joke with my patients. I'm like, all right, you, you know, these are 10 gold star moments where they're like, you know, hey, Joe, I um, was able to go for a walk today and I didn't can't ca count calories and um, I tried the yoga app and I didn't like it. So I didn't do it, but I at least tried it. I'm like 10 gold stars. Like that's a huge win. Cool. Right. What do we want to do this next week? Positive reinforcement is the way mm -hmm. forward for sure. I've not got children, but I'm, I'm really into animals and horses and dogs. And that always works yeah. way more than negative punishment always and same well, with mine are now older yeah, <laughs> My, yeah. mine are now older and it, you know no it still work um but yeah it it's just you know that we respond to love and kindness and what we're missing right with our eating disorder is love and kindness for ourselves yes. because the what we're getting is the reinforcement of how we look Yes. We're either getting positive reinforcement or we're getting negative reinforcement. But regardless, we're getting reinforcement of how we look, right? And so for any, any you know, teachers, coaches, parents out there, you know, reinforcing, you know, saying to your children, I love you on the inside and I love you on the outside. You're beautiful on the inside and you're beautiful on the outside, Regard, right? Like, like it, it is, there's this internal component and there's this external component. It's not just, oh, you look so pretty today. Oh, you hurt your hair is straight. Oh, that dress is left. Mm -hmm. Right. After a while, your child is going to grow up seeking external validation. That's right? me. That was me. <laughs> you too. Everyone listening. I'm a ballerina. <laughs> right. So, so, so for us mothers who have eating disorders, right? Saying to your child, you're beautiful on the inside and you're beautiful on the outside. You know, um, you know, your behavior is so lovely. You know, I love it when you say please and thank you, you know, that you're so kind, you know, your dress is beautiful today. It, you know, you must've taken a lot of time to really pick out that dress. What do you like about it? Oh, I love that it turns and it, 
and it, you know, and you can see the joy and you're like, that dress makes you feel joyful. I love seeing you joyful. So notice that, that I'm giving that positive, right? Reinforcement internally and externally. That's how we change. That's how we break the cycle. And guess what? When we do that for our animals, our friends, our pets, women on the internet that we don't know, we've got to stop being negative. When we do those things, right? We start reparenting ourselves. We get, there's an after effect, this, you know, unconditional positive regard, kindness and love that we actually get the aftermath for when we reach out and we give that to someone else, right? We feel good about ourselves. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. And it's it spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Well, this hour is just literally in a blink of an eye, right? It's not just me. Yeah. Just no, it just blew by. Keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, are you taking on clients? Do you, how do you work in regards to taking on clients online or in person? Share with us how we can work with you, how we can find you, all of that good stuff. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so I have a clinic in California and um, we we have offices in a few other states. So you can, um, it's my name. I know you'll drop all of the stuff in the show notes, but Thank it's, uh, yeah. Um, so official trauma therapy, Joel or official Joel, Tra- I don't know. I never get it. I never get our handle right. So I know you'll put it in the notes, um, but people can come work with us. You can, um, you know, send an email, you know, a lot of times um, I give resources and and I'll do my best to try and point people in the right direction. Um, I do coach so I can see clients anywhere. Um, So that that's that. Um, These days I'm doing a lot of uh, speaking gigs. So it's been a lot of fun. And I have a new book coming out. And it's going into pre-sales, I hope, in the next few weeks. So um, it's all about self-love. It's what we've been talking about. It is a um, 31-day journal for non-journals, journalers. So it's just very simple. It's all skills-based, very gentle. And it's if you um, are following our Instagram account, it's a lot of that kind of information. So um, lots of different ways to to work with me or to find me, and I'm always happy to answer questions. So shoot me an email. And for listeners, if you hear us on the show, make sure you send an email saying, I heard you on Victoria's show, because we always have a free gift we will send your listeners. So, Oh, yeah, listeners, freebies. Yeah. yeah, Get yourself on the email list for sure. And, you know, exactly. thank you for your time and your wisdom. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'm going to check. I'm sure your TEDx is in the links and if not I'll put it in there myself because it's a okay. really yeah really powerful thank you so thank, thank you, you for your time thank you for your wisdom and I will see you listeners next week do you have any last words before we end Joelle to the listeners oh no. um thank you for having me on the show and and just keep 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 on keeping on you know for the listeners right bad days are you can have them tomorrow's a new day try again Yeah, you've got this. We've got you. Sending you lots of love. Yep. Bye.